All right. Our children are in here this morning. And uh, don't forget Sunday school teachers. We have a a meeting after. You grab some food after the service um, downstairs. Uh, This morning, I I just wanted to start a uh, a little mini-series. Usually we teach through books of the Bible here. And uh, not... We don't do a whole lot of topical stuff, but um, being that uh, we have a guest speaker coming in a couple of weeks, Ken Needham. If you've never heard Ken, uh, you'll be blessed. Uh, he's British, and uh, him and his uh, wife are just a wonderful couple, and uh, we look forward to hearing him in a couple of weeks. But until then, I, I thought we'd do a little uh, kind of a mini-series and um, calling Make Your Mark. And, and I think that part of the reason behind this is that sometimes we grow comfortable in our faith. Sometimes we grow lackadaisical in the world in which we live. And uh, I just wanted to kind of pray about this coming year and uh, start off on a positive note. And uh, so how to get a, a right start, how to get started right in 2016. Sounds weird even saying that, 2016. Remember the whole Y2K thing? I mean, that just seems like yesterday. Uh, but before we do that, I just wanted a way of introduction. I was really praying about this coming year, and uh, I don't think we've really done this before, but kind of having a theme for the year. Not necessarily in the teaching on Sunday mornings, but just an overall theme for the body of Christ here. And uh, I, I couldn't help but settle on this theme, God's word, our unshakable foundation. Um, and I, I basically came up with two verses that I would really ask you to, if you haven't already, commit these to memory and to really kind of look forward to 2016 being um, a year which we stand solidly on God's word, being our unshakable foundation. The first verse comes from Isaiah 40, verse 8. And uh, Isaiah writes there, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen? Amen? I mean, isn't that a wonderful thing to realize that even though this world is changing, there's a lot of things that are not going to be the same in 2017 even. Technology and world events and all sorts of things will change. But the word of God stands forever. And then the second verse is out of the New Testament, Matthew 24, 35. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the foundation upon not only which our church is built, Grace Bible Church, right? I love that name. Um, But in the coming year, I want us to really just stress that we are committed to standing firm upon God's word, that we will not compromise that. And uh, that's just something that in the, in the day and age, in the church age in which we live, there's a lot of churches that are compromising that. And they're looking for other sources of truth rather than this book. And I just want to let you know that we are not willing uh, to do that. And so um, we just know that everything is changing around us, but we know that uh, even though this year is just, what, three days old today, Time marches on. You swap swap the calendars out. But you know what? The word of God remains the same. And uh, that that should be just a blessing to our hearts. Well, turn over to Psalm, verse Psalm, Psalm 1. And I want us to kind of go through this psalm. This is probably commonplace for a lot of you. And this isn't something that's new truth or anything like that. But like I said, sometimes when we talk about making our mark, we need to be reminded of certain things. And this little series that I'm putting together, three or four weeks, will be basically focused on how to live your life in such a way that you at least hopefully leave some form of legacy when you're no longer here. Um, Hopefully that won't be for a long time. But, you know, I'm reminded of what Steve Jobs used to say when he was alive leading Apple. He often used this phrase, let's make a dent in the universe. And if you know anything about Apple, they definitely have made a dent (laughs) in our world today. Um, And we're going to be talking about the same things in the coming weeks, how we can make a dent in this society in which we live, 
how we can live a life today in 2016 that will leave a mark for the world around us. And it will focus basically in the coming weeks on different purposes and intentions, mainly drawn out of the book of Acts. But this morning I thought we would start, first of all, with some questions. And the first question is basically this. If you could sum up your life to this point in a single sentence, how would you do it? If you had to summarize your life up to this point in time, how would you do it? It's a good exercise to go through. Um, You might be thinking, hey, you know, I've always looked out for myself. I've dotted every I, crossed every T. Um, Maybe you have a tendency to do things the easy way. Whatever. Um, How would you summarize your life up to this point? Question number two, how would those closest to you summarize your life up to this point? Probably it would be a little different (laughs) than what we summarize our life to be, right? Um, Hopefully it's not that much different. But how do they do that? When when you talk to your friends, um, how would they summarize your life? Or thirdly, the third question, how would you want your life to be summarized if you had the opportunity? Not only by yourself and not only by others, but most importantly, by God himself. What would you want him to say about your life up to this point? See, when you, when you come to these questions, the thoughts and deeds and motives that are in our hearts, the intentions, the accomplishments, they're all put on the scale. What would you like the preponderance of the evidence to suggest that your life is about? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. When Jesus walked on earth among us, he told us what his life was about. Several times. One place in Luke 19.10, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save, what? That which is lost. And then secondly, in John 10.10, he says, I have come that they might have life and have it, what? More abundantly, have it to the full. He also said in several places, he came not to be served, but to what? To serve. See, that's what the life of Jesus was about. He came to seek out and to save those lives that have been wrecked by sin. He came to fill those lives with meaning and purpose, fullness, abundant life. And really, when you stop and think about it, that's why we're here today. That's why this room is filled with people who, as we sang, once were lost, but now we're found. Once we were sinking deep in our sin, but have since been saved from the treacherous waves and have been lifted to life by his love, by his sacrifice. See, that's what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. That's why we're here today. Now, if you don't understand that yet, if you haven't yet had that experience with the Lord, if you have yet to understand that he can and will save you, if you still feel like you're wandering around in the darkness and sinking deep in sin, I want you to know that today Jesus can make a difference in your life. He can change you. He can transform you. He can make your life into what he desires it to be. I pray that if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that today might be the day that he makes that difference. But when you think about summarizing your life up to this point, I mean, we don't have to raise our hands, but who would like to be blessed by God in 2016? I think most of us, right? Most of us look forward to a new year, a clean slate. Wow, Lord, what, what awaits us in 2016? And all of us would feel that way, that we would enjoy being blessed by God. That the favor of God would be upon us all year long. Now, that's not some prosperity gospel. That's not some name it and claim it. I'm not talking about that. But it's a wonderful thought to have. 
I don't think anyone, especially a Christian, should wake up and say, you know what, I just want to be miserable today. Don't bless me, God. I want to be miserable all year long. I can't imagine someone saying that in their right mind. We all want to be blessed. We all want to be happy. We all want to find that fulfillment that the Lord promises in what we do every day. Well, you know what? Psalm 1 tells us how we can continually, continually be blessed each and every day. In just short six verses here, we really unveil the secret that God has for us as a way of blessing. This isn't talking about New Year's resolutions. I don't know about you, but I've been there, done that. That doesn't work. You know, you can resolve all you want. And every January, most of us make some form of commitment to the new year. Some things, a list, something we want to change for the new year. Maybe it's a budget. Maybe it's calories. Maybe it's family, relations, whatever it might be. And usually by February or March, (laughs) we're looking at that list going, I blew it again. And if you're like me, it's like, well, you just throw it out. So I just got to wait till 2017. I don't like to start things halfway. So it's easier just to quit and start over. But see, the blessing here in Psalm 1 goes much deeper than that. And I just want to read it for us. And you can follow along in your Bibles. Psalm 1, beginning in verse 1. Blessed, or that word can also be translated happy. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. Well, the wicked are not so, but they're like chaff. That the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way of the wicked will perish. When Psalm 1 starts off, blessed is the man or happy is the man, this is God's prescription for us for happiness. There's a lot of people looking for happiness today. And when you study this psalm, when you begin to uncover it and discover what's in it, you realize that blessedness relates to the way that we live and also the choices we make. This isn't just something that just kind of happens to you magically. It depends on the kind of person you are. From God's point of view, there are only two ways. We see that in this psalm. There's only two ways to live. There's only two kinds of people in the world. And only two kinds. Today in our relativistic society, we, we like to blur the lines and you know have a lot of gray area. Well, God doesn't do that. He says, basically, there are those who are righteous and there are those who are what? Wicked. (laughs) That sounds like a strong term, but that's what the Bible says. Everyone in the world, beloved, falls into one of those categories. Either you are righteous or you are wicked. There's no in between. You can't be half of one and half of the other. And Psalm 1 shows us the righteous, how they live. And why they are blessed or why they are happy. But it also shows the end result of the wicked as well. So if you want to live a blessed life in 2016, I think we need to tune our ears to God's word. Well, the first thing he says here in verses 1 through 3, he summarizes the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous. And you can kind of look at those verses. We've already read them. But the first thing I see here for us is the truly blessed and happy life is possible. Don't buy into all the negative, you know, stuff going on in the world to think that, well, you know, somebody's just going to blow this world up and just hope it ends soon. No, you know what? You can live a happy and a blessed life. It's possible. 
When verse 1 begins there with that Hebrew phrase, it begins something like, Oh, blessed is the man, or happy is the man. How happy is the man who? And then he kind of fills in the blanks. In biblical terms, to be blessed means to be rightly related to God so that your life is fulfilled and your experience, you experience deep personal satisfaction. It's important to know that this sort of happiness, this sort of blessedness is not related to our circumstances. A lot of people today going through hard times. A lot of people today dealing with major things on their shoulders. A lot of burdens that we're carrying. That's not where you're going to get your blessedness. That's not where you're going to get your happiness. It's not related to our circumstances. And it doesn't come simply by seeking it. You don't just make a decision one day, I think I'm just going to be happy. I just got to seek happiness. No, you find happiness not by seeking it, but by doing certain things that God prescribes for us to do in his word and by not doing other things that he tells us not to do. So the blessing that Psalm 1 is talking about really comes as a side benefit as a result of the choices that we're making. The wise man said that happiness, a wise man said this, happiness is like a cat. I don't care for cats. I'm allergic to them, but I'll use this illustration anyway. Happiness is like a cat. Seek it and it will run from you. But go about your business steadily day after day, and soon it comes and curls up at your feet. Isn't that true? Have you ever had a cat? I think some of the most miserable people on New Year's Eve are those who are seeking happiness from simply some party or some celebration or some goal. It can't be found that way, beloved. Many people doubt we can ever find happiness in this world. You talk to some people, they've lost even the desire for happiness. When you look at our nation, you look at what's going on politically, you look at what's going on militarily, socioeconomic situation, everything. There's not a lot of happiness. There's a lot of pain, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of doubt, there's a lot of sadness. But you know what? No one knows what the future holds. I mean, we live in a day and age when you get on a plane, you're watching the people that sit next to you. You're watching the person that sits behind you. You're watching the person with that backpack in the mall. That's the day and age we live in. There's a reason why on New Year's Eve in Times Square they had 7,000 cops or whatever they had there. Sniffing dogs and nuclear detection systems. There's a reason why that is going on. Because something has gone badly wrong in the world and no one really knows quite what to do about it. But Psalm 1 assures us that it's possible to live a blessed, to live a happy life. But it promises that only on God's terms. Only on God's terms. The world will offer you entertainment. The world will offer you cheap thrills, momentary pleasure. But true happiness, true blessedness, authentic joy, and true peace can only be found in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Secondly, blessedness begins with the negative, not the positive. (laughs) It begins with the negative. Psalm 1 surprises many people because it begins not with some positive statement, but with the negative. The blessing begins with what the righteous person does not do. It says there, he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of the scoffers. Look at that progression with me. Walking, standing, sitting. I see that progression every time we go to the mall. Men, you know what I'm talking about. You're walking down the mall with your wife. All of a sudden, she's not by your side anymore. You turn around, where is she? She's standing in front of a storefront. Looking at a pair of shoes. And you're going, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just looking at these shoes. Okay. Well, come here, look at them, okay? 
Pretty soon you're inside the store and you're standing there. Pretty soon before you know it, she's sitting down and the shoe guy's out there and they're trying them on and you're going, what just happened? There's a progression there. See, it's the same way with sin. First, the man is walking down the road. Then he stops to hang out with sinners. Maybe even thinking he's doing the right thing. Eventually, then, they prove to be such good company that he sits down. And pretty soon, he's having intimate fellowship with them. Before he even knows what happened. What started as a casual contact, contact in the end, ends up becoming this declaration of personal allegiance. When we look at the counsel of the wicked in the Bible, it means the advice of the morally unstable. Where are you seeking your advice? Where are you seeking your counsel? Are you seeking it from somebody because they got a bunch of degrees after their name? They have a doctorate degree and whatever. Be careful. I would not take the counsel of anybody especially if I knew them to be an unbeliever, especially when it came to things of matter of life and purpose. Be careful where you're getting your counsel from. See, that's why as a church, we really embrace biblical counseling. You say, well, what's the difference? There's a big difference between biblical counseling and Christian counseling and secular counseling. If I could paint a picture for you, You have this platform, just look at it as counseling. Over here you have what we would call secular psychiatrists and psychology and and the people that believe in all the, the, the worldly views as far as counseling goes. That's secular counseling. That's the person you pay and you go and lay on the couch and you unload on them for an hour and they're, okay, time's up, come back next week. Nothing was resolved, nothing, nothing. All right, that's that's secular counseling. Well, then you have on this side of the stage, you have what you call basically Christian counseling, which is in the middle here. And then you have biblical counseling on the other extreme. And biblical counseling says, you know what? We're not going to buy into all the psychobabble. We're going to buy into what God's word says. We're going to buy into what God has for us and the purpose that he outlines in scripture. We're going to embrace the Bible as our source of truth. That's what a biblical counselor would do. You go to a biblical counselor, they would say, okay, what's going on? And you would tell them and they would turn to a verse in the Bible and say, well, here's what the Bible says about your situation. A Christian counselor, beloved, is anywhere in between that. They could be close to a biblical counselor, but they could also be very, very secular. I know a lot of Christian counselors, they call themselves Christian counselors because they're a Christian. But they buy into all the secular stuff. So when you go to them for Christian counseling, what are you getting? You're getting psychobabble filtered through maybe a verse here and there. Big difference. Where are you getting your counseling from? You want to be careful. Well, the way of sinners, it says there, the way of sinners, that involves kind of a series of lifestyle choices. You're kind of going down a road. You're embracing certain things. And then eventually they're sitting with those who mock. It literally means to have a close, intimate, long-term fellowship with those who are rejecting the Lord. And so you hear the, see the progression thinking pretty soon it's behaving. And then pretty soon you belong to this group before you even know what went on. See, worldly wisdom leads to worldly action, which results in worldly fellowship. There's a a reason why the Bible calls us a peculiar people as believers. There's a reason why the Bible says, you know what? You don't fit in this world. Because we don't. And we have to be careful, even as a church, that we're not trying too hard to be, quote, liked by the world. I have no desire to be liked by the world. I have no desire to embrace worldly philosophy and business-like thinking when it comes to even running a a fellowship or a church. God has given us his word. He's given us an example of how to do it. Let's just stick to what he says and we'll be safe. Blessings come not only from what we do, 
but also from what we don't do. Blessed people avoid certain things. They avoid certain people. They avoid certain situations. They don't just hang out anywhere. And they don't quickly buy into every line of thinking. They're often very careful not to join themselves to the company of those who do not love the Lord. See, this is a a much needed word for our hearts as we begin this new year. Because if you decide to seek God in 2016 like you've never sought him before, I guarantee you that the devil will oppose you at every turn. Because that's not what he wants. One of his strategies is basically to surround you with people who will lead you astray. Lead you down the wrong path. The tricky part is those people don't seem to be bad people. (laughs) They're your neighbors, they're your friends, maybe even your family members. They're nice enough, they seem decent enough. They're just not godly people, that's all. They don't share your personal faith in Christ. I mean, it's not like these people wear a t-shirt that says, hey, I'm working for the devil. Let's all go to hell together. You know, that's not their mentality. Sin never stands still. What do I mean by that? Sin never stands still. It always moves to control us. It always moves to control us. What starts as a casual contact leads on to an increasing closeness. And then all of a sudden there's a permanent association there. Eventually there's an increasing boldness of evil accompanied by a lowering of our own inhibitions. Pretty soon we're laughing at jokes that one... One time we would seem be crude. We compromise our values in ways we would never have thought possible. We even consent to things that would have greatly troubled us in the past. See, we need to wake up. We need to be reminded that God calls us to be holy as he is holy. Now, lest I be misunderstood, I'll just be real clear here. My brother used to, Tom used to have a pig farm. And he said this one time. He said, if you sleep with the pigs, you eat with the pigs, you run with the pigs, you hang out with the pigs, you talk like the pigs, you walk like the pigs, you laugh like the pigs, and dress like the pigs. In short, if you basically do what pigs do, you shouldn't be surprised that you end up smelling like pigs, sounding like pigs, and looking like pigs. In the end, you're going to be indistinguishable from the pigs. You're going to become like the people around you. That seems kind of crude, maybe. But this is true whether they're good people or whether they're evil people. Now, I can hear the objection rising up in your heart even as I said that. How are we going to reach out to the lost if we don't spend time with them, Steve? Are you saying we should just isolate ourselves, us four, no more, bar the door, have a little holy huddle? No. The answer goes like this. You don't win the lost by living like the lost. You win the lost by loving the lost and what? Living like the saved. That's so important to understand. If you adopt the lifestyle of those who don't know the Lord, why would they want to have what you have? If your life is just the same as theirs, except you tag Jesus on your forehead, what's the difference? We have to remind ourselves of that biblical term in the world, but not what? Of the world. That needs to be ringing in our ears as we embrace this new year. We're called to live among the lost. We're called to love them. We're called to befriend them. We're called to care for them. But at the same time, we're called to live an entirely different life by an entirely different value system. And see, that powerful combination of truth backed up by love, that's an irresistible force in the world. You don't reach people by lowering our standards or compromising our values or compromising the word of God. Somebody said this, it's a good thing when the boat is in the water. It's a bad thing when the water is in the boat. We got too much water in our boats today in churches. We need to make sure that we... Draw that line clearly in the sand. Thirdly, 
Blessedness comes by building your life on the word of God. Now we kind of come to the positive. We covered what we don't do. Now we transfer over to the positive. Having refused to walk in the way of evildoers, instead we focus on knowing God's word. I pray that you have a copy of God's word. I pray that you open it up daily. I pray that you, when you have questions, you delve into it and ask God to show you and ask for wisdom as you read it. We do this because the true way to float rubbish out is to pour the water in. You can't get rid of the garbage in your life simply by mental effort. It doesn't work. You have to replace the negative with something positive. The psalmist tells us that the godly person, what, delights, it says, in the law of God. That means he loves the word of God. He loves the scriptures. He loves the Bible. He loves opportunities to come together and study it together with the people of God. The word delight means to take great pleasure in. It has the idea of consuming something with passion. Something in your life that just controls your life. And all of us delight in something. Some delight in food. Some delight in a job or a hobby. Music, a career. Particular friendship. Money. Or the things money can buy. Many people delight in evil pleasures and wrongdoing. Wrong desires. Your delight determines your direction. What you delight in will tell me where you're going. Ask yourself this morning, what gets your motor running? What excites you in the morning? What keeps you awake at night? What do you daydream about? When you stop and you answer those questions honestly, you're going to find out what you delight in, beloved. Just look at a young couple who's in love. You'll know what the word delight means. Take a young man, talk to his friends after he's fallen in love for the first time. What do they tell you? He's not even the same guy. He's changed. It's all about this girl he met. Doesn't want to hang out with us anymore. He's got this goofy grin on his face the whole time. See, now we need to apply that principle to the word of God. We're to delight in God's word as a lover delights in a letter that he is or she has received from his beloved. Those who are blessed by God love his law. It says they meditate in it day and night. That word meditate has the idea of digesting something thoroughly. You know, sometimes you eat something and you can't get it digested, right? Well, this means you kind of go over it and over it and over it. You're chewing the cud, they call it. The Hebrew word can actually mean to mumble under your breath. The other day, my wife said, you know, you mumble. You're mumbling more and more. What's wrong with you? And I thought, if I'm preparing here, that's not a bad thing necessarily. (laughs) Talking to myself. I mean, come over here Sunday morning at 5 or 6 in the morning, and you'll hear me mumbling in here. You know, that's what I'm doing. Trying to figure out what I'm going to say, how how this study fits together. Got to get it out. See, the blessing is promised not to just any sort of mumbling or talking to yourself, but to the patient, protracted study study of God's word. Does that have a part in your life? I remember when we went over to Israel, you'd see these Orthodox Jews standing in front of the Western Wall, and they're just chanting the words of the Old Testament over and over and over, and they rock back and forth in front of this wall, and I thought, well, what are they doing? They were so intent on what they were doing, they didn't even know you were standing there next to them. They were so focused. See, the psalmist gives us this word meditate, and he says not only should you do that, but you do it day and night. What's he mean? Do it all the time. There's no wrong time to meditate on the word of God. I mean, it's good to practice it in the morning. Get up, you know, maybe read a couple verses of scripture, start your day that way, end your day that way. But we need to be disciplined in our thinking, in our mind, to think biblically at all times. Not just when we're in church on Sunday morning. And if you practice that discipline of daily 
putting the word of God into your, into your head, you'll reap the, the, the results and they'll be positive. I mean, one thing I do before I go to bed, ask my wife, you know, I put the head ear, earbuds in and turn on the, the Bible or I'm turning on a message or I'm turning on Christian music or well, something. And I just fall asleep that way. And usually about three o'clock, four o'clock, I'll wake up and they go back in. <laughs> and that's how I wake up. And it's, it, it, there's, there's a lot to reap from that. We hide the word of God in our hearts. It says that we're protected from sin. And it gives us strength to obey God. I mean, you hear people today, you know, you talk about memorizing scripture. And it's like, well, that's for the kids in Awana. <laughs> you know, what a glorious thing it would be if our church committed to, to memorizing 12 verses this year together. One for every month. I'm working on that, by the way. Maybe next week you'll have a, some information. And today, together we can memorize Scripture. That's a Christian discipline. And some of us, especially the man, I don't have time for that. My brain's too busy. I've got work. i got this going on. I, you know what? I don't buy it. The truth is we lack motivation. I mean, if somebody real wealthy like Bill Gates was here and he said, you know what? I will pay $100 next Sunday for every verse you memorize. What would you be doing this week? $100 a verse? I know what I'd be doing. (laughs) I'd be memorizing verses. I'd be memorizing as many verses as I could. Why? Because all of a sudden there's motivation. (laughs) Money in your pocket. Something you need. See, don't... Don't buy into that. It comes down to desire. God's word is more precious than gold or silver. And if we delight in the word of God, you will find a way to read it. You will find a way to meditate on it and even memorize it. Fourthly here, stability and fruitfulness are the marks of blessedness. The person who builds his life on the word of God is like, it says, a tree planted by streams of water. It gives us stability. That word tree planted by streams of water has the idea of these mighty trees with large branches and deep roots that go down far enough into the soil to get their water and get their nourishment. Scientists tell us when you see a large tree that's been growing for many years, like these, even these oaks out here on our own property, you can be certain that there's a vast unseen root system connected to that tree. Many times, people who study these things will say, you know what? The root system is evil, maybe even equal or exceed the part that's above the tree. You think about these sequoias that we see around us. Their unseen root system gives them stability from the changing forces of nature. In times of winter storms, summer drought, the roots is what holds that tree in place. Thank God for that, or we'd be looking for a new fellowship hall or a new, new building. See, that's what a good root system does. How do you know when a tree has good roots? When the storms come. That's when you know. I mean, all trees look pretty much the same when the sun's shining and, you know, gentle rain is falling. But when the storms hit then the true difference is apparent. The trees with few roots, shallow roots, are blown over. But the trees with deep roots are still standing and the storm has passed. And see, it's the same thing with the child of God. You won't know how good your root system is until the storms of life come crashing in on you. Only then will you discover the strength of your spiritual foundation. And the only way to really, beloved, be ready for that storm is to spend time now delighting in God's word, mining out the truth, applying it to your word and in your mind day by day, meditating on its truth. What also says here, it speaks of fruitfulness, fruit in its season. That means that the tree produces Fruit that expresses the true inner character of that tree. How do you know when you spot an orange tree? We have an orange tree that our neighbor has. And when the grandkids come, they look at it and they go, hey, can we, can we go to the orange tree? I say, well, how do you know it's an orange tree? Because there's oranges on it, Grandpa. Right? By what the orange tree produces, you know it's an orange tree. 
How do you spot an apple tree? Same thing. See, whatever is on the inside must eventually be seen on the outside. And that applies to our spiritual lives as well. It means when our roots grow deep in God's word, we will be given whatever we need whenever we need it. We don't have to fret. We don't have to worry. If we need love from the word of God will come the strength to produce the fruit of love. If we need a forgiving spirit, the word of God from the word of God and our study of it will come the strength to forgive. If we need courage, patience, perseverance, whatever. That sort of supernatural life is what Jesus was talking about. And it's available to every believer. But it will only be fully realized over time as we continue to walk and we delight in God's word. Well, blessedness, fifthly here, prospers in all situations. The last verses here in verse 3 offer these wonderful promises. First of all, it says it yields its fruit in its season. Um, When you see here in verse 3 that it yields its fruit in its season. It means they gladly bring forth fruit in good times and in bad. Why? Because we're planted down deep, good soil, good roots, constantly nourishing us. That's why in Romans chapter 8, we'll get here in a couple weeks, but Romans 8 verse 37, it says, you know what? In the midst of struggle, sorrow, persecution, famine, right? Distress, nakedness, the sword... Those who know Christ are what? More than conquerors. How is that possible? Because we have deep roots in the word of God. In this world, you're going to face disappointment. You're going to face sorrow. You're going to face rejection, failure, sickness, abandonment, discouragement. Illness. Physical weakness, and even eventually, probably death itself. But even then, beloved, we can prosper, we can thrive, we survive, and we're not destroyed. And that's because we have deep roots in the Word of God. Secondly, here it says that the leaf does not wither. The phrase really pictures a a leafy tree that seems to be like an evergreen because its leaves are in season all year around. You need to be refreshed constantly if you're going to be this kind of a person. Constantly renewing yourself in the word of God. You're never bored with it. You've never learned too much of it. You're always looking for opportunities to partake of more of it. And then thirdly here, look at this. In whatever he does, he prospers. This isn't necessarily talking to mainly about spiritual, I mean material success. But it's not excluded here. But they prosper in the sense that no matter what happens, no matter what happens in your life, you're going to find strength to go on day in and day out, and that hope will never fail. See, that's the way of the righteous. Well, quickly here, the way of the wicked, look at verse 4 and 5. The whole truth about the human race is often found in just those two words, not so. It says in verse 5, he who sits, or in verse uh, uh Four, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. They're not like the righteous. They don't have any part in the promised blessing. They don't follow God's word. They've chosen a different path. And God's estimation of their conclusion of life is totally different. It says the wicked are ultimately insubstantial. In other words, they refer to them as chaff. Chaff refers to the husk or the hull around a, a nut or a kernel. It seems quite strong. But once that kernel has been removed, it's light and just kind of goes away in the wind. I mean, think about a peanut for a minute. Open a peanut, you crack the shell open. After you eat the peanut, what do you do with the shell? Go to Five Guys, right? You see them all over the floor. If you're at a ball game, you toss them in the, in the aisle, Okay. You don't eat them. That's what the wicked are like in the eyes of God. They look so powerful on the earth, but to God, they're like dust, quickly blown away. And their wisdom is like chaff, changing every day, new theories, new ideas, new beliefs, nothing solid, nothing definite. 
because the wicked live for themselves. They don't know right from wrong or good from bad. I mean, learn from this that life without God, beloved, life without God is empty. It's useless. It's trivial. It's worthless. Right? I mean, Solomon says it's the vanity of all vanities. If a man lives for a hundred years and he yet does not know God, he's just like a piece of useless chaff, blown away, forgotten. Secondly, their true character will be revealed in the day of judgment. When the time for judgment comes, the wicked will not stand because they don't have any roots. Everything about them is blow and show. Fourth and worldly pomp. It's just bluster. It's braggadocious. There's nothing of lasting value. We need to be reminded of that because in our world, it looks like the wicked are prospering. With one breath, the Lord will blow them all into hell. Meanwhile, the righteous will stand because they're like trees by the stream with deep roots in the word of God. The tree stands, the chaff disappears. That's why sinners won't be in the assembly of the righteous. They won't be there because the winds of judgment will have already removed them. We'll look at the end of these two ways. Verse 6, it says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I mean, if you have your foot in the way of the righteous, if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that the righteous will endure because they know and are known by God. That Hebrew word there literally says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows the righteous the way a father knows his children. I mean, probably know a lot of different people, but I know my wife. I know my daughter. I know my grandkids in a very personal, direct, and intimate way. See, I watch over them. I constantly think about them. I do whatever I can to help them. And what I do in a small, limited way, God does continually and forever with absolute perfection for all of his children. And it's because of his loving kindness that his children are preserved through their trials and brought safely home to heaven. Well, the wicked in their wicked ways will ultimately, it says there, perish. I mean, this is just a sobering way to end this message, but it's reality. In the way, it says, in the end, their way will perish. All that they've lived for will disappear like a mist in the morning sun. And they themselves will perish along with their works of their hands. Their way, it says, comes to a dead end. Their life ends in destruction as they rush over the edge of the cliff, only to find themselves not annihilated, as some believe, but in a place of eternal torment, eternal hell forever. We need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded of that because we live in a lost and fallen world. And God has called us to take this message of the gospel that has transformed our lives out, not just here to Redwood City, but to the ends of the earth. Well, in the end, what does all this mean? Just to conclude, first of all, casual flirtation with sinners soon leads to total domination by evildoers. Don't think a little sin won't hurt you. Don't think getting your counsel from someone who doesn't know Christ, well, you're strong enough as a believer, you can weed out the good and the bad. Be careful. Don't play with fire unless you want to get burned. Secondly, as long as the world is what it is, godliness will largely be viewed as negative. Don't wait for the day when the world cheerleads our holiness and cheerleads our Christianity. It's not going to happen. It's growing harder and harder to stand up for the truth in this lost and dying world. And sometimes if you ignore the negative, 
you're never going to get to the positive. Thirdly, many people who seem successful by worldly standards will be judged total failures by God one day. Don't compare yourself to them. You compare yourself to this book. You compare yourself to how your walk is lining up with this. You compare your priorities and your family and your marriage and your life with the words of this book and you will be blessed. And then the last thing here, the happiest people in the world are those whose lives are built on the word of God. See, when you're doing what God has commanded you to do, every church will be a Bible church. Every Christian will be a Bible Christian, a walking testimony of what Christ has done for them and in them and through them. Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, I pray as we embrace this new year that we would start off on a right footing. Lord, apart from God's word, we don't have anything to offer this world. And Lord, we know that a blessing awaits us as your children as we embrace this word, as we apply it to our lives, as we memorize it. Lord, I thank you for this church being a beacon of light, a beacon of truth, taking your word seriously and being willing to stand up in a lost and dying world to hold forth the only answer for people's sin, the word of God, the work of Christ on Calvary. Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion time, Lord, as we examine our own lives as we're commanded to as in Scripture as believers, I pray for any here who may not know you, Lord, I pray that they would be willing to cry out to you even now, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. Help me to embrace Christ as my Savior. Help me be freed from the shackles of sin that holds me captive. As believers, I pray that we would examine our own lives. Are we doing everything we can to reach out to a lost and dying world? Or are we growing a little too comfortable and having our church meeting once a week? Smiling and say, God bless you as we walk off into another week filled with things from the world. I pray that our weeks would be filled with your word each and every day. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.